0: Hello, before we get into the episode, I just want to say that um, we recorded this in October, October 8th, and it is currently December 17th, and the reason for that is because Echo and I have been so busy and getting this episode out has just been uh, logistically difficult due to how much time it takes to edit this kind of stuff, and um, now it's the holiday of course, so we've got a break, and we can um, finally edit the episodes. So, um, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and all this stuff, and uh, enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. This is the Shuttle Podcast podcast. Um, I am Nick and I am Echo, and uh, we are coming back again after a what like month and a half hiatus, I think, or maybe not actually. I don't know, it was published somewhat after we, we recorded anyway we are back with uh space news and space facts and um astronomy at large and astronomy at small astronomy at small correct <laughs> astronomy at uh astronomy at medium fun size yeah.
1: welcome um, to bad joke central hosted by echo and nick
0: <laughs> just echo
1: just just echo Yeah. nick is a witness not an accomplice
0: i host the uh good jokes <laughs> central um <laughs> I will start yeah, out with the first topic. So, a planet 640 light years from Earth rains iron. It um, there was a sixty day sixty day observation of the planet. It's WASP seventy six B. So WASP seventy six B, the uh, comically named European Southern Observatory's very large telescope in Chile. <laughs> was the telescope to make the discovery the iron rain discovery was actually made a while ago but recently it was discovered that ionized calcium is very prevalent in the atmosphere to a degree that is much higher than expected it is 3800 degrees fahrenheit which is 2100 degrees celsius i did not convert that in my head on the sun side because the planet is tidally locked and 2700 say what could you repeat that number which one the celsius 2100 degrees celsius on the sun side of the planet that is over three times as hot as Venus. wow i did not know that on the night side of the planet it is 2700 degrees fahrenheit or 1500 degrees celsius i did not do that (laughs) in my head either you really can't catch a
1: break here. Wow! And jeez. Is
0: that is that really hot on the night side as well?
1: Um, I mean, relative to the day side, it's not so hot. Relative but to Venus,
0: relative to Venus, it is about twice as hot. Wow, pretty <laughs> hot, from what I remember. Well, atmospheric pressure in mind, it is not too hot for the iron that is vaporized on the sun side to rain down on the night side. But the question is if the iron vaporizes on the sun side and rains down on the night side, how does it get off the night side if it's tidally locked? Hmm. Perhaps it is liquid or it forms a cloud. Interesting, um, interesting phenomena though, for sure. I haven't heard of many planets that rain, um. Rain iron also. I pulled up this planet in space engine. I was so intrigued by it that I wanted to see what space engine thought it looked like And Where's my I had a piece of paper here Okay, the paper is lost um oh, I sure. wrote down the whole atmospheric com-, com composition of this planet on a piece of paper And I was like I'm gonna pull out all these facts basically. It was 90 something percent hydrogen uh, the rest was helium. And then we had a tiny bit of uh, methane. Ooh. Mm. Like a fraction hot, of a percent methane. methane. So hydrogen, helium, methane, not a very breathable atmosphere, but yeah. typical <laughs> gas giant, right?
1: Screw those gas giants for not being breathable and stuff. Yeah. Just big jerks. Yeah. They have so much gas. They couldn't make some for us. yeah that um that reminds me of the thing from a couple years ago about um the oh man i don't know if it was actually debunked or verified but um there was atmospheric data a couple years ago that uh asserted that it rains diamonds on jupiter it's I
0: i didn't know it could be a liquid it can't be a liquid
1: uh well i think it's just super compressed carbon because i mean you get so far down in jupiter that all of the the atmospheric pressure well like we live on earth where there's one atmosphere and we're used to that but like go to venus where there's um you know factors of 10 more than that um and you you'll get you got smushed that's what happened to the mariner i believe um where it landed took a couple photos and then smack it's gone Um, was that by design i believe so yeah (laughs) it's it's hard to it's i mean it's so hard to make robust technology with with 70s materials and then jupiter where you have such a large planet and so much gas piled on top of each other that eventually you get down and it's this sort of like weird mush where it's just super compressed and it's hard to Determine what's liquid and what's what's not. That's why we have the two our two ice giants, Uranus and Neptune. A similar phenomenon happens where the cold, in tandem with the the pressure, makes it so that there's sort of a ooey gooey surface that we don't know a lot about. Ooey gooey. Um, yeah. So on Jupiter, where you have some carbon that's that's under all that pressure, the 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 data derived and the hypothesis made was that the atmospheric pressure is so strong that it takes oh. that carbon and then just, like, it squishes it into the par- in, uh, into the point where it's it's diamonds. It's carbon diamonds. But it's liquid. Um,
0: I don't believe it's liquid. Oh, so it just but, rains all uh, the little diamonds. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was going to say, can diamond exist as a liquid? I didn't think it could. <laughs> liquid diamond would be interesting though once it yeah uh
1: all of these articles from a couple of years ago seem to be in agreement i and i found on many space news websites
0: articles will just copy and paste each other verbatim so it's who yeah. knows like what the real one is
1: yeah it's a game of telephone these journalists <laughs> we're journaling the journalists yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, how original can you be with scientific data? There's only so much you can.
0: Well, presentation possess. is everything. Yeah, and as far as presentation goes, it's there's an art to it, so it can be. Whoops! Did you send something to me? Uh, did I? Oh, three thirty-four. Oh. Okay, I just saw that now. Uh ah. Oh, and then on the on that on that topic of that planet. Used a spectrograph as of this year, I don't, I didn't write down when to find the presence of sodium in the low atmosphere and very strong water signals, but none at visible wavelengths, just in infrared. So that implies that water vapor is being screened out by the clouds, opaque at visible wavelengths, but transparent to infrared. Um, so lots of water and atmospheric pressure between 0.3 and 0.5 millibars. I don't know what a millibar is so it's
1: a measurement of pressure but I can't remember yeah one bar is about
0: 1.99 atmospheres of pressure it says the atmospheric pressure is between 0.3 and 0.5 millibars so that's low right that's yeah, that would be incredibly low so I don't know what's up with that you would think it's a gas giant it should be that doesn't seem right the article i read must have been wrong uh well, it's also very hot, so the molecules are bouncing off of each other
1: at uh, a lot more
0: yeah, than Yeah, you are the resident physicist, so you would know more than <laughs> I do.
1: We're getting there. I'm like a a renting physicist. I'm renting the property and then at some point I'll just buy it out. <laughs> and then I will
0: be a resident physicist. Resident. <laughs> resident. Yeah, you are in residence. Uh, in the <laughs> physicist house. Anyway, uh, it has that many millibars of 0.3 and uh, to 0.5. And it was discovered that ionized calcium is in great quantities, which I said earlier. And the authors of this research paper are Emily K. Adelbert, Ernst J.W. de mui uh, forgive me for mispronouncing your name. The Iowan speaks of Ray. I'm uh, told. I think this is in what did I say? Cuban? No, Ch- Chile. This is in Chile. So hmm. these are probably Chilean names. Uh, Ray, Jaya Wardhana, Jake yeah. D. Turner, Andrew Riddin Harper, Luca Fasatis, uh, Callie E. Hoods. Jonathan J. Fortneys, Laura Flagg, Ryan McDonald, Romaine Elart, and David K. Sings.
1: I have to admit, I've, I've never seen that combination of letters before. Well, they speak Portuguese in Chile, right? I believe they speak Spanish. Huh. Chile language. One
0: of us is right ha ah, it's me <laughs> shocks <laughs> i thought portuguese was spoken by all those south american countries um brazil would have you believe that propaganda yeah <laughs> be interesting to live in brazil seems like a uh, as far as developing nations go it seems like one of the better ones Hmm. yeah it 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 does seem like a a, a very fun place
1: to it's a beautiful place, <laughs> I'll just say that. Yeah, all
0: the spiders want to kill you. In beauty, of course. <laughs> yeah, at least they're good-looking spiders, right? <laughs> wouldn't want to what go the... down from an ugly one.
1: Should I Should I go with mine? Sure. After one failed attempt, the Perseverance Mars rover has collected two uh, soil samples with its drills named Montanier and Montagnat. Both of which have been found to contain salt crystals. Uh, These salt crystals were possibly formed by past water on the ancient Martian surface. This also marks the first step in the (coughs) success of a revolutionary new technology, that of sample return from places with entirely different geological histories than our own Terran one. The last time we had collected samples to return to Earth was in the Apollo era, which ended in 1972. Uh, JPL's Meenakshi Watwa, a Mars sample return pr- principal specialist, concurs. Quoted saying, In our space community, we've talked about Mars sample return for decades, and now it's actually becoming the real deal.
0: To be honest, that's like... What? I don't actually know the meaning of the phrase pipe dream. It feels like a fever dream, almost, about them bringing back Mars samples, because my whole life, I was like, it's never going to happen, you know? Mars is <laughs> so far away. Um, yeah. Because... Well, Mars is farther away from us than the Earth is from the... That might not actually be true. Let me look it up. <laughs> uh, I looked it up a few days ago, and I was surprised by the result. Distance to Mars. Okay, 245.23 million miles. 245 million miles. Oh, wow. Uh, that's, that's 2.6 out of AU. We are eight minutes away from Mars, and we are 12 minutes from the sun. So... Yeah. And that, that changes, but uh, it goes from, z- yeah,
1: 0.4 to 2.7 throughout our orbital shenanigans. It's pretty interesting.
0: So, uh, I, I would never have guessed that for some reason. Mars is further away than us, further away from us than the sun. So it makes it even more impressive that we are able to bring rocks back from Mars. It's insane. I, Mm -hmm. if it wasn't from like NASA or something, I might not even believe it. Well, JPL is also very good at sample returns as, as we've seen. However,
1: yeah. Launching a (laughs) spacecraft from Mars. I mean, we've done it more or less before with the, the, um, the LEM taking off from the lunar surface with it with half of itself well that's the moon now yeah i mean yeah launching from mars and working out the orbital mechanics in an entirely different it will be the first time we've ever done that and i very much look forward to seeing a spaceship lift off from mars uh mars (laughs) oh i i i had i had said um that taking, poss- seeing a, a rocket lift off of the Martian surface in the near future, was a, uh, a, thrilling, uh, expectation. I don't think we will least. be
0: able to see the rocket lift off though. Yeah. Well, seeing seeing the history happen. Yeah, seeing history happen. Um, seeing the headline. I suppose it would be a better phrase. Yeah. Something I've always wondered, like, so I calculated this earlier today so obviously mars is eight light minutes away right Mm, um well when it's closest to us um if something like happened to mars we wouldn't know for eight minutes if something happened to the mars rover we wouldn't know for like eight minutes and then that made me think of other comparable thought processes and i realized if the sun went supernova we wouldn't we wouldn't know for like 12 whole minutes. And then I did more calculations. Apparently the shockwave and material jettisoned only moves at like twenty five thousand miles an hour, which would give us sixty one <laughs> uh, minutes before the Earth was destroyed. Um That's about the speed of the Voyager spacecraft, I think. One of them. Isn't Voyager constantly accelerating? Or has it stopped accelerating? I believe it stopped. Okay.
1: If it was constantly accelerating, it would have expended its uh, fuel. Yeah. And it needs the, uh, what is it, plutonium to run? Oh, really?
0: Plutonium. It's computers. I did know. not know that. Why is that?
1: Um. Well, the radioactive substance has a more sustainable energy source than that of fuel cells or solar no, energy. Makes sense. Especially when you're going so far away from the sun and you get that fun effect. So yeah, plutonium is
0: what we use for deep space probes often or other radioactive substances. I wonder how far Voyager will get. Is it still transmitting data? Every now and then.
1: I believe um <clears throat> I mean it's currently in what we call the heliosphere. I could be I could be wrong on that. I mean there are, there are plenty of observations to be made in the heliosphere. I don't actually believe it's there yet, but there are plenty of observations to be made in the heliosphere especially about what even it is because there are so many things about that far out that we don't exactly understand and would like to so once the voyager spacecraft gets out i I think the hope is that there will be some way to gather data from that area of space um and that extends out to around the Centauri system, the, the 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 Alpha Centauri system. Really? Wow. It, or, f- I, I should say, four or so light years in radius. But yeah, it's there's there's still science to be done, as 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 Portal Two would put it.
0: <laughs> I never played Portal Two. Oh, it's so. Fun. I played Portal <laughs> Portal. I played Portal One, and I loved it. I thought it was amazing. And then I got Portal Two, and it just it's a lot bigger than the first game and you can do more but for some reason it just isn't as fun and i had that conversation with another friend who's played both of them and he agreed with me so it my theory is that that is a common sentiment although i really want to finish it so that i can know how like the story ends and how the lore goes portal one was was very
1: engaging to the point where I beat it in a day. <laughs> but, wow. um, yeah, Portal 2, I'd say, actually, at least for the Steam platform, has so much more versatility. Um, you can have community puzzles, of which my favorite experiences from that game have been derived. Oh, interesting. At, at certain points. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I prefer Portal 2 for that reason, but, the, I mean, Portal 1 is also a classic. I could, I could work for ign <laughs> physics Nine <out> of ten. <laughs> physicist at ign yeah despite its violation of some of the principles of physics that we've come to know and love it is a very very fun game
0: have you watched like because have you seen those like various physics renders that people do just on youtube
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: those are so satisfying to watch they aren't more so
1: Hmm? oh they are they are I, I believe they are because um I mean real life you see it happen and then it it happens like the satisfying videos in real life don't cut it for me I don't know if they cut it for really anyone else i think it's just <laughs> I have a conspiracy about that where it's just a bunch of people pretending they like that thing but as far as like how Pixar was making the the falling snow animations for like in 2013 where you had this block of things that wasn't really obeying physics. And then all of a sudden it does the thing that snow does, you know, things I I don't want to hype Disney up too much because of what Disney is and what it did to
0: one of my favorite franchises. Oh, what did it do? Oh, star Wars, star Wars. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it wasn't going anywhere anyway. I mean, George Lucas was done. I mean, I've heard the Mandalorian is good. I've also heard Rogue One is good. The Mandalorian is not good. It every episode hmm. is a Dex ex Machina. Um, it's uh, that bad. Oh yeah, you've told me about this. Shall we uh, move we on?
1: Rush.
0: Oh, there we go. Sure. Uh, so we were talking about a super Jupiter or a hot Jupiter. Ooh. Let's see. Uh, My oh, I have one on Mars. Okay, so on the topic of <laughs> Mars that we just came off of. There is very strong evidence which has been found for super volcanoes and super eruptions in the planet's past. Hmm. So volcanoes of this type collapse into these giant holes called calderas uh, which have been found in the Arabian Terra region of Mars. And the compact reconnaissance imaging spectrometer for mars was used to identify various minerals on the surface surrounding those giant craters because they just look like big holes they couldn't be sh- completely certain it was from a volcano so they uh right. used spectroscopy to um analyze the minerals Monts morillonites emoglites and allophane among others um yeah, that's all the information there is on this study, to be honest, which is very interesting. It's very fascinating to know that Mars was so extensively geologically um, active, but something that is puzzling as a result of the paper is why there were so, so, so many supervolcanoes of the exact same type in a single location on Mars in, instead of spread all over the place.
1: especially considering the martian tectonics are so foreign when compared to earth i don't know how those would be associated
0: i don't know anything about martian tectonics would you like to um um, enlighten me
1: there are two basic facts that i know about it one is that the core is hardly if at all as molten um as earth's core so it doesn't have the plate like movement uh that we do which causes earthquakes and uh eruptions and whatnot uh but it still observes mars quakes the uh, Hmm. i believe the insight lander was responsible for observing quite a few of those um so yeah geologists are sort of puzzled about that so there, I, it's just i guess in addition to the mysteries what is mars doing <laughs> why didn't it ask us first and what is it doing
0: right well we'll figure it out eventually especially yeah. if we get people on mars i i really want to see people on mars to be honest yeah I mean i personally believe it to be both ethical and necessary to establish human self-sustaining colonies outside of earth however i very few people in positions of power and wealth seem to share that opinion except Mm. elon musk i guess yeah
1: yeah and if there's any disagreement with nick's reasoning that a viewer may have keep in mind on mars you can jump 66 percent higher <laughs>
0: yes that is the uh 66 higher did you just have that memorized
1: well um martian gravity is about a third of that of earth's yeah it's it's about it's about yeah it's about three times or not three times about 2.5 times higher with the with the figures um so yeah, look forward to that Martian Collins. I have to
0: rewrite my whole novel now. <laughs>
1: huh?
0: Um, I don't have to rewrite it, but I have to do a bunch of significant changes now that you've enlightened me to that fact. I only thought it was mm. marginally um, less than Earth's.
1: Yeah. Um, it, it yeah, it's so much so that you know, it probably won't take evolution time like the time it takes for a species to evolve into something else it probably won't take that time for humans on mars to be comparatively really tall and stringy than those on earth because they only have three point they only have three meters and change uh per second squared acceleration to deal with as opposed to our
0: 9.8 well does gravity affect the formation and maturation of the human body or is it just strictly uh genetic
1: as far as we know it does but even even if it doesn't um there's the there's the fact that uh astronauts on the international space station will come back two or three inches taller in the more extreme cases
0: because gravity isn't compressing their spines down as it normally would be Fun little fact for uh, you viewers at home to take to a party. Uh, tell it to your uncle. <laughs> oh,
1: man. I I fear for those who will have to live in the same room as me because most likely in college I'm going to have a roommate. And if my plans work out the way that they do, uh, the way that I hope they will, I will also have a whiteboard To,
0: <laughs> You have a whiteboard of your... Plans. I'm, I'm,
1: I well, I hope to have a whiteboard in oh. the future. That is okay, my plan. but I hope that that will be some some means to just to just project my my inner ramblings, and um, they'll have I to actually, deal with that both verbally and looking at it. <laughs> so,
0: I wanted to do that exact same thing with a whiteboard, so I acquired a whiteboard, and um, I wrote on it a little bit, and then it just didn't work out. Like my brain just didn't work with the whiteboard for some reason, which is weird because isn't that like the whole point of a whiteboard is to get your thoughts out concretely in a way that they can be analyzed. But um, I mean, yeah, I I guess it's just a separate medium.
1: Um, The article that I was about to reference was actually claiming the opposite. So when blackboards came around, um, when, when, like paper that you could have, sorry. When paper came around and like loose-leaf paper and students could write on that instead of needing to use a blackboard and whatnot. Um, there was an article from a teacher, I can't remember exactly what or where, um, but it was earlier 19th, uh, earlier 20th century, where the main thesis was a complaint on how students don't know how to use the blackboards anymore. What? <laughs>
0: all you Paper, do is write on the damn board
1: well you're right on the board and then when you scrap when you wipe it off since you're not as acquainted with the blackboard you you get chalk all over your hands and you make a mess and it's a it's a highlight of the how in back in my day we had to do it differently so so that that means that mine was better sort of j- juvenile sort of thing um but as far as whiteboards go, I found, yeah, I, I also struggle with just new mediums and how how to express the same, say say in a coding language, how to express the same program in a different syntax. I sort of that that's sort of similar to expressing your thoughts on paper or expressing your thoughts on a computer and then switching over to a whiteboard where it's there are just different different things about it so what's the motivator different.
0: for you to uh get a whiteboard what's the primary mm-hmm. factor that um inspires you to use that medium
1: a to get better at thinking on a whiteboard and b to get better at algebra because i know that i'll be need to be erasing erasing a lot when it comes to oh sure think when it comes to things like that for some reason it's never been my strong suit to keep track of higher order functions so maybe i'll be better at doing that if i get a whiteboard and i'm able to correct my mistakes more easily
0: would you say a whiteboard is more useful than like graph paper when it comes to higher level calculus hmm. i don't know i i don't
1: yeah i don't really use either when it comes to um when it comes to me actually having to graph my functions, I'm the t- I'm the sort of math doer that will just draw two axes and <laughs> sort of hope for the best, um, which mostly works out, especially when I'm trying to demonstrate something. The amount of things that I solve non-graphically, though, especially when you get to calc and whatnot, where it's mostly just this is how something will work. You can graph it if it helps. <laughs> um i don't know i guess I, it, it varies yeah i I have no idea we were talking about mars
0: <laughs> yeah i i guess we are both um not very uh never mind i can't think of the word um <laughs> that's all right. all right so shall i uh have a go at a topic or would you like to um sure you 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 can you can go okay um so i read a bunch of articles maybe three or four on these various space news websites talking about how the first circumtriple planet was discovered but the circumtriple means orbiting three stars wow was so curious that i actually went and read the original research paper and it does not actually speak of discovering the planet at all it simply says that a planet is very likely to be orbiting so <laughs> it hasn't been quote-unquote discovered it was just a way to get clicks right um yeah but it's very, very likely to be discovered. So uh, they used the Atacama Large Millimeter Submillimeter Array, ALMA Telescope, and they analyzed three dust rings in the GW Orionis, or Orionis system. Um, Orionis. <laughs> Three dust rings with a prominent gap at 100 astronomical units and misalignments between each of the rings uh, Mm. possess a gap, a break in the gas disk. And it was hypothesized that it could potentially be from the torque of the triple star system or a planet massive enough to create the gap.
1: Yeah.
0: In the paper... He said, for observationally motivated parameters of protoplanetary disks, the disk does not break due to the torque from a star system. They concluded that it is almost certainly a planet, but they have not seen the planet, so it has not been discovered. But it is interesting. It's a very phenomenal find. Yeah. The uh, paper was. Published and composed by Jeremy L. Smallwood, Rebecca Nealon, Cheng Chen, Rebecca G. Martin, Jiaqing Bi, Ryo Bing Dong, and Christofi Pint. And according to Smallwood, quote, It's really exciting because it makes the theory of planet formation really robust it could mean that planet formation is much more active than we thought, which is pretty cool, unquote. I look forward to hear more news on the topic. Um, it would be neat if they got some photographs. I am severely disappointed with the lack of photographs accompanying space news and discoveries such as this. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm severely disappointed
1: with the lack of James Webb Telescope to provide these photographs. Hopefully that
0: will resolve by this year's end. Didn't they have I think you mentioned they had some big delay? Yeah, there 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 have been numerous delays.
1: And in fact since you know, since Oh, man, the first had heard of it was the mid twenty tens, as far back as I could remember. Um and now they're fingers crossed going to finally put it on that Ariane five. And have it go into orbit. That's that's a novel idea to me, though. the The fact that the gaps in disks of dust suggest a planet. I, I guess it makes sense, but I'd never thought of it. And that that's it's very interesting, especially considering that mm-hmm. one of the first methods of discovering exoplanets was that of observing the wobble of a single star so you could only really do that with single stars because if you if you have a planet orbiting a binary system and the stars are around each other they don't jiggle the barycenter jiggles and the barycenter is not a real you know not matter often at least um yeah so you can't you can't really use that for a trinary star system but science finds a way. That's, that's really awesome. I, I like that idea a lot. I'm going to...
0: Quite frankly, until yesterday, I did not know that trinary star systems existed, so... They're awesome. Are there... Uh, Four-star systems?
1: Hmm. I don't know. I, I would... I'd propose that the likelihood of a multitude of stars coexisting around a barycenter would go down the more you have because
0: very easily those could just crash into each other um well it's a big universe uh the yeah the observable universe is mind destroyingly huge and somehow someone calculated that the actual universe is at minimum 250 times the size of the observable universe so Hmm. leads me to believe that at least one star system in this massive universe has to be um more than three stars i mean it's if it can be fathomed right if it can be thought of surely it can be done yeah
1: there are I, I know that there are black holes which have um, a mass so large that it sucks in other stars. So you'll basically have what is a planetary system to a star being what is a star to that black hole. Yeah, I've... It'll just have a multitude of things rotating around it. But that's, yeah, it's not necessarily what we're looking for yeah big big universe uh for 45 billion light year radius um means a lot of possibilities (laughs) i
0: am impressed that you just have stored in your memory the size of the observable universe thank you (laughs) (laughs) chad moment I, i think observe all aboard. right did you have a topic
1: you a voice huh yeah <laughs> Hold on. radius uh, 46.5 billion light years so the fall equinox came for Earth's northern hemisphere on September 22nd of 2021 along with another rather eerie cosmic surprise. Asteroid 2021 NY1 will make a pass by the planet coming as close as 1.5 million kilometers or a little less than four times the distance from Earth to the moon. While it's no threat to Earth, NASA will be monitoring the space rock while it's still in the near-Earth area of the solar system for utmost safety and precision in knowing the sky's exact orbit. It's a little nice gift. Uh, I wish we had instruments to look at this thing a little bit closer. Uh, because it's said to be about three to six times the size of the Statue of Liberty going, um, and it's going around thirty eight uh, 33,800 kilometers per hour. We think as well that it's just rocky, but let me, let me get a date for when that actually is said to make its pass. Oh, it passed on the Equinox. I didn't, I didn't spell that out for myself, but now it's obvious. Thanks, past scriptor, me. <laughs> so yeah, that I, I that's pretty cool um, that that happened.
0: Very cool. Indubitably. Indubitably, my good sir. All right, I guess sure. I'll say something now. Sure thing. Sorry, I didn't have anything to say. I just my brain is empty. I kind of feel bad. Um, that's totally fine. I I
1: probably scripted it in a way that that would be a common occurrence because I also couldn't think of anything other than
0: that's pretty neat (laughs) (laughs) very neat though Um, anyway let's see here measuring the mass of exoplanets so Dr. Richard K. Berry is a research scientist in the NASA laboratory for exoplanets and stellar physics big surprise or excuse me, stellar astrophysics. And uh, he is developing technology known as the contemporaneous lensing parallax and autonomous transient data, which spells out Cleopatra, but the Mm. O is just arbitrarily tacked in there. So it's (laughs) Cleopatra. Close enough. I mean, it's a really... Well, at least according to the documentation of the machine it exploits parallax to calculate the distances with microlensing I don't actually know what microlensing is but it requires two distant positions of the same machine right the same observation the same Cleopatra uh, so one has to be far away and one has to be like on the earth and uh, both of these machines focus on the same object and they gather parallax data between the two viewpoints mm. and then they uh exploit that data to calculate the mass of an exoplanet. I don't actually know how
1: well um, um I believe it has something to do with the fact that mass will warp space time because that's how because gravity makes light behave weirdly hmm. could be so that, that would make um, sense yeah we we have that as well i mean we're, we're a relatively small planet compared to other things in the universe but we have a small gravitational lens that warps light around us um it's especially prevalent if you look up pictures of uh what is it if you look at pictures of einstein rings you'll generally get big giant objects being warped to where it looks totally distorted and strange let
0: me write that down
1: it's it's awesome to look at definitely recommend but um yeah since microlensing that method of exoplanet discovery i believe relies on the same phenomenon just for a lot smaller objects
0: well anyway they are sending cleopatra to Mars it will go in orbit with the Roman mission in late 2025 so it's going to be a hot minute but it's an interesting technology nonetheless yeah um and accompanying Cleopatra an AI called the Rapid Machine Learned Triage or Ramjet I don't actually know what that is and the huh. J Asha the j also is arbitrarily tacked in um ramjet is a method of propol- uh pr-
1: propulsing aircrafts i believe sorry
0: <laughs> what do you call on something that someone that creates an ai is that program or is that design create the ai the ai was made by um dr greg Olm schnack <laughs> i'm sorry greg uh <laughs> I know you'll never listen to this podcast, but I'm sorry. Anyway, this AI is designed to use a neural network, quote-unquote, in which um, it will be fed a ton of data about exoplanets that are adrift. What do you call them? What do you call those that don't have a star system?
1: Um, rogue
0: planets? Rogue planets, yes. It will. The AI will be fed a great deal of data about rogue planets And then it will be placed on the Cleopatra device and the AI will gather a ton of data from all the different measurements and telemetry taken by the device and it will only send back the important data that it recognizes about rogue planets and the goal is for Cleopatra to kill two birds with one stone and measure the mass of exoplanets and discover rogue planets. Which is a completely new approach to discovering planets, and uh, if it works, we will likely discover significantly more rogue planets. Which is exciting because those things are cool.
1: Yeah, My- mysterious to say the least, but in in mystery,
0: <laughs> insert <laughs> end of sentence here. <laughs> Yeah, insert um, insert insightful commentary. I've always been fascinated with, like, the concept of an arcology on a rogue planet. Perhaps I might write a short story on the concept one day. I enjoy writing. Are you familiar with the concept of an arcology? You've explained it
1: to me before. It has to do with the history of a civilization.
0: So an arcology is... It's this concept in which um, if something were to happen to make the planet or land unhospitable or for some reason someone wanted to be completely excluded from the outside world, uh, Mm -hmm. what they would do is develop a type of self-sustaining colony in which you can maintain the colony entirely from within the colony it is airtight, and absolutely no resources come in from the outside world. And essentially, um, we'll accept maybe like energy, I don't know, like sunlight, um, or geothermal energy. And essentially, it would be a way for a civilization to exist in the absence of let's say, uh, like water, breathable air, or mm-hmm. if it's nuclear fallout, or if we're a rogue planet, right? If the earth for some odd reason just goes and and uh (laughs) shoots off into nothingness and we've built a great arcology our whole civilization could flee into the depths of the arcology and live in this self-contained environment for for aeons and millennia and um obviously it's almost strictly within the realm of sci-fi even though it's theory theoretically possible um but it's just a very fascinating concept i've always been fascinated with the concept and i mean if we do get to the point where we are able to create self-sustaining colonies on other planets which i really hope we do i'm
1: auditorily crossing my fingers i'm i'm crossing my fingers with sound
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes fingers crossed right um i think global warming we'll have to deal with that first though or not global warming, climate change, because there's so many different ways and we're destroying the planet. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a very interesting concept, and I absolutely adore the concept. That's all I have to say. So, yeah. Uh, arcologies on rogue planets.
1: Yeah. The, uh, what was it? I remember reading about rogue planets and how they would still be capable of geothermally heating themselves to the point where they would be in terms of conventional life, were inhabitable, and that's what's mostly gotten. Oh yeah, yeah. I,
0: I was reading about that too. Uh, one article on the topic of what you just said um, mentioned that if there was enough geothermal heating and uh, water and ice on the top, uh, life could evolve under the water and be protected from solar radiation and whatnot from the layer of ice like a Um, big europa big europa correct um and then of course um if evolution progresses uninterrupted uh it could evolve people likely not humanoid (laughs) but Social animals, with rational intelligence, living under the ice their whole lives, having no idea what the universe is. It'd be sad.
1: Yeah. Though, to a degree, sort of. Just a little bit separated from what humankind has has been. I mean, we we observed a firmament before we observed that it was actually just a progression of less and less gas until you got into what was considered a vacuum of space. Hmm. It's like, um, I don't know, it's a little bit like that, perhaps. <laughs> and before that, even, all life was under the water. We didn't know anything other than that. And now look at us. We've been to the moon and not returned for a while, but yeah. we've been to the
0: moon. <laughs> we haven't been to the moon since like the 1970s, right?
1: Mm, last, um, Last Apollo was 72.
0: Why is that?
1: um funding unfortunately um was a big was a big deal with it and we didn't know of any much more science to be done that would really benefit us (laughs) as far as 1970s America went and the space race was over we had we had done we we, America had done what what it promised it would do just a year before Kennedy said we would, <laughs> he said by 1970 and we got halfway into 1969 and we're like, all right, fine, we'll go.
0: I remember actually watching an interview with the dude that wrote up the speech, but essentially wasn't there a whole speech written up and uh, briefed over with the president where if they didn't weren't able to return from the moon, which evidently was a oh. very real possibility. If they weren't able to return, yeah. there was a whole speech already written up and prepared for... Um, well forgiving about them not returning i mean yeah, how sad that it, would be yeah it got released i believe um oh really
1: nixon was was to say a few words for the stranded astronauts and it was it was a it's a rather scary read but i'm, I'm just glad it didn't happen yeah or it might have a, inhabited a universe where it happened
0: <laughs> might have a dissuaded america from pursuing astronomical what's the word exploits
1: mm-hmm.
0: astronomical endeavors yeah
1: should I um? I, I have a very long topic about inspiration for sure but uh, let's see it's basically just reading their things from the website but uh, yeah here we go The Inspiration 4 mission launched on September 15, 2021, marking a successful mission for the first all civilian crew in space. The Falcon 9 ship and Dragon craft were sent careening across the sky, making a wonderful display of lights as the main engine cutoff was engaged. After that, Jared Isaacman, Haley Arkano, Chris Sembroski, and Dr. Sion Proctor got to experience zero g for the first time and looked through the bubble shaped Cupola on the Dragon capsule at the Majesty of the Earth, and then in parentheses it says in all caps should we put pictures here Wall
0: What what <sighs> website is that, or is that you? Oh, oh I wrote that. Oh, you. Wrote that.
1: But I'm about to I'm about to read the website. Right. A couple notable things about the crew. Dr. Cyan Proctor is a geoscientist, explorer, and science communication specialist with a lifelong passion for space exploration. She was born in Guam while her father was working at the NASA tracking station during the Apollo missions and has carried on his dedication and interest in space. She's an analog astronaut, a person who conducts activities in simulated space conditions, and has also completed four analog missions, including the all-female sense... Sensoria Mars 2020 mission at the Hawaii Space Exploration Analog and Simulation High Seas habitat, as well as the NASA-funded four-month Mars mission at High Seas to investigate food strategies for long-duration space flights. Her motto is "Space to Inspire," and she encourages people to use their unique one-of-a-kind strengths and passion to inspire others. She uses her space to inspire art to encourage. Conversations about creating a JEDI space, a just, equitable, diverse, and inclusive space for all humanity. Dr. Proctor was recently selected as an Explorers Club 50 50 people changing the world. She has a TEDx talk called Eat Like a Martian and published the Meals for Mars Cookbook. Dr. Proctor was a finalist in the 2009 astronaut program. She has her pilot's license, is SCUBA certified, and loves geo-exploring our world. She has been a geoscience professor for over 20 years at South Mountain Community College in Phoenix, Arizona, represent, and is currently on reassignment as the Open Educational Resource Coordinator for the Maricopa Community College District. She has a bachelor's degree in environmental science and a master's degree in geology and a PhD in curriculum and instruction science education.
0: That's an odd uh, combination for an
1: astronaut.
0: <laughs> Although, did you say she wasn't actually, she didn't pass the program?
1: Uh, she was a finalist. A finalist. Uh, but I don't believe so, yeah. But now she's a real astronaut, or at least a civilian astronaut.
0: That's an odd combination for an astronaut. I mean, environmental science makes some sense, I suppose, but it's... I guess environmental science does make sense because it's research that is is. very comparable and likely involved with NASA research. Mm -hmm. The ISS is also a hub for
1: those kinds of studies.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right.
1: And next crew member. Chris Sembrowski grew up with a natural curiosity about outer space. Stargazing late at night on the roof of his high school and launching high powered model rockets in college cemented this passion. As a US space camp counselor, he conducted simulated space shuttle missions and supported STEM based education designed to inspire young minds to explore these areas and find their passions. As a college student, Sembrowski volunteered with Pro Space a grassroots lobbying effort that promoted legislation in Washington, D.C. to help open space travel and allow companies like SpaceX to exist. He served in the U.S. Air Force, maintaining a fleet of Minuteman III intercontinental ballistic missiles and deploying for service in Iraq before leaving active duty in 2007. Following his education from the Air Force, Zambrowski learned a bachelor's degree in professional aeronautics from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, that's a good school. In his career, Sambrovsky has sought innovative, industry disrupting methods to monitor and maintain mechanical equipment, making everything from data centers to hospitals more efficient. He now resides in Seattle, Washington, and works in the aerospace industry. When Haley Arkano was 10 years old, one of her knees began to ache. Her doctor thought it was just a sprain, but a few months later, tests revealed that Haley suffered from osteo sac. Oh man osteosarcoma, a type of bone cancer. Her family turned to St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital for her treatment and care, which included chemotherapy and limb-saving surgery. She is now finished with treatment and thriving. She obtained an undergraduate degree in Spanish in 2014 and obtained her Physician Assistant, PA, degree in 2016. She she now looks at St. Jude, the very place that saved her life, as a PA with leukemia and lymph and lymphoma patients Um, this is the connection in case anybody was wondering for the Inspiration4 crew and the St. Jude charity drive that was happening during that launch if any of you tuned into the NASA spaceflight Um, especially towards the end of that live stream you saw the total donations actually go up to um, a mind-numbing amount I believe it was something like 100,000 total um, is very cool, um, yeah, so she was the medical role on that mission, all right, next is Jared Isaacman, an accomplished jet pilot, Isaacman is rated to fly commercial and military aircraft, and holds several world records, including two speed around the world flights in 2008 and 2009, that raised money and awareness to the Make-a-Wish Foundation. He has flown in w- over 100 air shows as part of the Black Diamond Jet Team, dedicating every performance to charitable causes. In 2011, Isaacman co-founded what would become the world's largest private air force, Draken International, to train pilots for the United States Armed Forces. These, especially with Doctor Proctor's f- finalism in the na- the astronaut program, while these are civilian um, flyers, these are exceedingly exceptional f- people. I, I I I read this and my jaw just continued to drop a little bit lower each each word. Like i I'm, I'm surprised that these people aren't already, you know, Human of the Year. <laughs> I know. For some of them, it's, these, these are crazy exceptional people. There's a lot of accomplishments behind them. And, oh man. No, I misremembered something. Yeah, uh, I don't know if there's much more to say. I've also expended my voice quite a bit on reading that. But it's, <laughs> it's just practice for reading yeah. more. Hopefully that will become a semi professional thing. Anyways. <laughs> Congratulations to the Inspiration4 crew. It is nearly a month late. I'm aware, but um, well, probably over a month late. But um, that is crazy. And a lot of people, I concur with this sentiment. A lot of people were saying, it it, it truly ushered a new type of space flight, if not an era of space flight. Um, you know, it.
0: This is really cool. <laughs> it's awesome. It is. Um, civilian astronauts, congratulations to, what did you say it was? Inspiration? Inspiration 4. Congratulations to Inspiration 4 and everyone involved. If anyone deserves it, it's these people. <laughs> Alright.
1: Well, that was all that I had scripted, unfortunately. I, uh, the astronaut prep space station for first international spacewalk didn't have the information that I wanted it to.
0: <laughs> what um so what website was that?
1: Uh collectspace.com.
0: Collectspace.com. And, I've uh, heard of that one. I'll to <laughs> follow it. I don't
1: I don't know if I've used it for any other points, but
0: yeah. On the topic of international spacewalks and space activity mm. there is a movie being made on the space station being filmed right this very minute oh as i speak on october <laughs> 8th um this might come out after their this podcast episode might come out after they're done filming it but october 8th they are filming it um wow today so uh, they docked tuesday october 5th at um 822 am edt i don't know how edt relates to united central time slash global mountain time or is it green meridian time global meridian i don't know what gmt stands for uh united central time and gmt are the same thing it's just they changed it to united central time uh to be less britain centric um (laughs) anyway the crew will film for 10 days interestingly enough so these are all civilian astronauts and as they approach the station the auto uh, uh, as they approach the station the auto docking system failed and they had Uh oh (laughs) they had to dock manually but thankfully these civilian astronauts trained for it so this i mean the actor and producer managed to dock manually i'm severely impressed by that um The movie is about a doctor saving a cosmonaut, and the working title is The Challenge. Hmm. It's in Russian, though. I mean, it's a Russian actress in a Russian movie. And it's somewhat of a PR stunt because I can't remember if it was the director, but someone in charge of the movie, uh, perhaps the writer, um, said that one of the intentions of the movie, besides making a good movie, is to renew Russian people's interest in the space program because hmm. the population's interest in space has waned over the years
1: yeah well I, I remember uh, in a previous episode doing uh, a spiel on a similar instance in China that movie was part of a PR stunt or part of a means to get the people interested in space interesting yeah i i I will i would like to watch (laughs) this movie of course it seems very of course
0: it might not work if it's a bad movie yeah and um, i don't know how well a person can act without being sufficiently acclimated to zero gravity don't you feel like horrendously ill for the first week uh
1: it varies from person to person, but it definitely is sort of a dizzying sensation because your cochlear fluid doesn't have a a frame of reference for down. So it's just sort of blip 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 all, all around in your ears.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it called space adaptation syndrome? I don't know. Any I believe that's terms the clinical it. term for it. Um yeah, and these actors won't be and other relevant people regarding the production of the movie won't be um acclimated, so I question how good the acting is going to be. <laughs> I am definitely going to watch this movie. Even if it's in another language, I will I really hope it has subtitles. I will
1: I, learn conversational Russian for this
0: movie. Yes, I will <laughs> learn Russian for this movie. I I will even rent it and not watch it on a sketchy website if I must, <laughs> just for the subtitles. So oh, yeah, I suppose
1: I must say the same about the Chinese movie. I never watched it. Oh, I have about, I have about 30 minutes.
0: 30 minutes? Yeah, yeah. I have how many points? Oh, let, me, let me check how many points I have. I have one point left. Oh. How many do you have? Uh, zero. Zero, okay. Uh, busy quarter. So, change of topic. Um, new topic the winds in Jupiter's red spot are speeding up significantly Hmm. and the red spot is becoming less elliptical and more circular and based on previous data it shouldn't do that so we don't actually know why and there has been no breaking off of the red spot like it has been observed at least once that a, section of the, a small section of the spot will break off and make its own little eddy for a short while, and there has been no breaking off, and it's getting circular and speeding up for some reason. Hmm. The circularization of the Great Red Spot can't be explained by changes in the horizontal wind shear of the surrounding environment... The velocity fields suggest no long-term trend in the static ability inside or outside the Vortex. Uh, however, the changes are accompanied by a 4 to 8% increase in the mean wind speeds of the high-speed ring from 2009 to 2020. So, hmm. that's very significant. I mean, 4% to 8%. Huh. It's kind of scary. I mean... If the red spot is changing so significantly, it makes me wonder if it's going to disintegrate after being around for so many hundreds of years. yeah, I mean it was theorized to have
1: been slowly doing that, but if it if it just happens to
0: break off I don't, that will that would that would be insane that would be madness <laughs> how many centuries has it been around Do you know ooh a uh,
1: new no. jovian I'll add that to my Repository of information. The giant red spot is a persistent anti cyclonic storm from the planet Jupiter, 22 degrees south of the equator, which has lasted at least 340 years.
0: Wow, at least 340. So that'll be a
1: Galileo quite the event. then Cause He was the first telescoper
0: that we know of. Well, I believe Cassini discovered the red spot. He's one of the two dudes that discovered the red spot. I don't remember the name of the other guy. I think he has a name very similar to mine. Let me look it up. Cassini. Giovanni Domenico Cassini. Giovanni is my middle name. So mm. we share a name, and he's one of the guys that discovered the red spot on Jupiter. So interesting guy. I don't know why he isn't more renowned. Well, he has a spacecraft but, um, named after him. There's a what? Spacecraft? Yeah. I I knew that. I don't actually remember what the spacecraft is for.
1: Um, I think it's a, just uh, an observer of the oh, Novian, Sure. Jovian climate. Off the top of my head, I may be wrong, as I, Cassini spacecraft Saturn, what? I was wrong, okay. So, oh, right, I believe, was this the one that, uh, was the spacecraft launched in 1997 that lasted 20 years before crashing into the Saturnian Atmosphere, I suppose you could call it, and uh, it was to discover various things about Saturn, like uh, a lot of what we know now about its rings.
0: Well, yeah. hopefully he gets another spacecraft named after him. He certainly deserves it. Yeah, in my opinion. I don't know if the other dude did more of the work. I don't know much at all actually about the topic. Anyway, this uh, study was. This discovery was made by Michael H. Wong, Phillips S. Marcus, Amy A. Simon, pronounceable names so far, <laughs> MK Day Pater, Joshua W. Tolefson, and Xyler A. Davis. And Xyler his name, or her name, is spelled X-Y-L-A-R, which is a spelling I've never seen before in my life. Hmm. Um, it looks like a name from a fantasy novel. Um, or like, like in...
1: I mean, I've never even heard the name before.
0: That's, uh... So it's obscure, yeah.
1: The Jovian Jup- the Red Spot has been a part of science classrooms for three hundred and forty years and at some generation there will be a time when children do not learn about the current jovian red spot but rather the past jovian red spot and if this is that moment then that will be very interesting to see how people react
0: to say the least it might actually make Headlines in the actual news and not just those astronomy news websites. (laughs) That would be interesting. Um, Although, to be fair, actual news is going away and people just use various websites that all try to do the same thing. Yeah. Um,
1: The information age. The information age. Totally shifting away from cable.
0: (laughs) Cable. My gosh. I can't believe that technology has progressed the way it has. It's so weird like all the technology that i had from like the 90s and early 2000s just seemed so permanent when i was a kid yeah like this is the way technology will always be and then it's just changed so much that none of it is the same
1: yeah we used to have uh, a vhs
0: collection and now now all of those titles and more are just on one streaming service (laughs) did you ever have one of those like I'm sure you did those. So it was a special machine that was solely intended for the rewinding of VHS tapes. And you put the little tape in and it rewound it super fast. No. Did you ever have one of those?
1: We always just put it in the machine and rewound it from there.
0: Oh. Um, Well, that machine was so fun. I would like (laughs) deliberately unwind VHS tapes just to put it in the machine and watch it go. That was so much fun. I had my own VHS player as a kid. It was in my room and I had a little TV. And um, I had a Nintendo 64 connected to that TV. And I played Zelda Ocarina of Time Ooh. with as much of my free time as I could. And uh, eventually the Nintendo 64 dematerialized because I did not do my school. And wow. I never got it back. So, hmm. um, sad. Yeah. Oh, I never got it back in my room. That is, I no longer have a TV and... Process of connecting my Nintendo sixty four to my computer monitor would be messy and extraneous.
1: Well, you only need. Did like, you ever what, play the sixty four? No, my friend had a GameCube. That was about as far as it went for retro
0: gaming for us. Oh, Maybe I don't we're, even we're... consider the GameCube retro. <laughs> well, I consider that to be no, like the same era right, as the yeah. Wii. To be honest, I mean, I suppose it was,
1: but yeah, that's that's about as much as I. Have actually like as far as a console that was sold around the same time that it launched. Um, that's as far back as it goes. But we would play mainly oh. for hours on end.
0: <laughs> I played all the retro games, so I had like the original Smash Brothers and Ocarina of Time, and I had some racing games for the sixty-four. That was so much fun. Hmm. I played the uh, Sega Genesis. Do you are you familiar with that?
1: Oh yeah, I um. It was uh what was it trying to compete with it's trying to compete with the 64
0: right super nintendo
1: oh 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 i'm thinking of the saturn I? are you thinking of the dreamcast i'm thinking of the dreamcast i thought of two different things that were wrong <laughs> right yeah yeah the s-
0: yeah the sega the genesis stouts. is just the sega uh super nintendo so it's like like those pixelated graphics and stuff but uh there was a sonic the hedgehog game on it and it was really fun i Mm. played that all the time um yeah that was my childhood just all those retro Mm. games that cost a ton of money now unfortunately Jeez, yeah so that that's the end of the episode then right i suppose it is thank you for
1: listening everyone i hope you had a great time uh and i hope that your next two to four weeks in between episodes it goes well (laughs)
0: assuming that we don't take like two months
1: yeah two to eight weeks
0: (laughs) yeah two to 52 (laughs) so join our discord server and follow Mm -hmm. our twitter um the discord server and twitter will be in the description i don't actually know how all that works echo does all the magic with the uh various websites and i'm
1: internet boy
0: he is the internet boy and (laughs) i am the uh whiz kid the tech whiz when it comes to uh, <laughs> editing the audio yeah although it was quite a challenge trying to splice together all the audio clips from last time but this time we only got it done in two takes Woo. so hopefully it'll be easier yeah
1: so uh, in case you have any doubt in your mind that nick is not the whiz uh listen to the episodes i'll tell you that there's one that i've edited you can find very easily which one that is
0: uh Actually, don't listen to the Don't episodes. listen to that one, but
1: <laughs> trust my word <laughs> that it exists and it's not the best work I've ever done as far as media goes.
0: Well, it was worth a shot, right?
1: Mm. Well, if they do listen um, to
0: it, then we'll get more listeners.
1: <laughs> thank you for listening, everyone.
0: Yeah, thank you for listening. This is Nick and Echo signing out.